Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would simply remind us of who you are and of the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story goes that there's a man walking through the woods. Uh, This man has been an atheist all of his life. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't know God. He doesn't want to know God, and he never has, and he never will. As he's walking along through the woods, he's admiring the trees, he's admiring the rocks, he's admiring the rivers, but at no point does his attention drift any higher towards God. All of a sudden, while he's walking, a huge eight-foot-tall grizzly bear comes out of nowhere and charges for our guy. Well, he turns around and he starts running as fast as he can, full speed, down the path, away from the bear. The bear is hot on his trail, dodging around trees, hopping over streams. The man runs on and on. His heart is beating faster and faster and faster. And he he hazards a glance behind him, and he sees that the grizzly bear is gaining on him. He starts to run even faster. He's so scared that there's tears coming out of his eyes, but the bear is still closing the gap. All of a sudden, the man's foot catches a root, and he goes flying and falling through the air towards the ground, and he cries out to God, and time slows to a stop. The bear is frozen in time. The forest goes completely silent. Even the river stops flowing, and a bright light shines from above. And God speaks down from heaven. You cry out to me now? After all of these years, are you sure? And the man recognizes the hypocrisy of this sudden outburst, this sudden belief. And then he has an idea. Lord, uh, God, uh, it, it seems unfair that you would make me a Christian at this point in my life, but could you make the bear a Christian? Very well, the voice says. Time starts back up. The river starts flowing again. The forest sounds all start back up. The bear reaches the man who is still on his back after the fall, and the most amazing thing happens. The bear comes to a full stop, sits up, put his hands together, bows his head, and speaks, Lord, for this meal I'm about to receive, I give you thanks. Now, first, it's probably worth noting, theologically speaking, that our man needs Jesus as much as we need Jesus, and and our plight is kind of the same as the man's. We are just as desperate and needy for God's rescue and God's mercy and God's grace. And the amazing thing is that that is what Jesus does. But we'll get there. Because the real aim of our time today is towards thanksgiving. And let's the holiday of Thanksgiving and more the spirit of becoming a more grateful people. Because the reality is that even though we just celebrated a whole day set aside for giving thanks, I suspect that most of us barely made time to recognize, let alone reflect on, 
what we're thankful for before we dug into the bountiful meal. I suspect that most of us barely made any time to even notice what we're truly thankful for. And I suspect that most of us barely were aware of the one to whom we are thankful. Because the reality is that most of us are not very good at being thankful. To make matters even harder, as Martin Luther pointed out, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. Which is why a hungry man is more thankful for his morsel of bread than a rich man for his heavily laden table full of food. A lonely woman in a nursing home will appreciate a visit more than a popular woman with a party thrown in her honor. A homeless man is more thankful for any roof over his head than any of us even recognize the blessing of being able to be inside. But there, therein lies the problem. You, you see the problem. We've been blessed with so much that we hardly take notice anymore of that blessing, let alone the blessor. But therefore, the question comes, do we need less to be more thankful? Or do we need to be more thankful in order to be happy with less? And, and if this has happened to the holiday of Thanksgiving, which is all about Thanksgiving, I mean, it's right there in the name, how much harder will it be to find gratitude in these next seasons of Advent and Christmas? And yet maybe being more grateful would change our experience of these next seasons for the better. Which actually brings us to this new series. In this new series, we're going to be thinking about a small line in the Christmas story that may be a little too familiar to most of us in our own lives as we travel toward Christmas, especially in our busyness and stress and overwhelm. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we are told, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Which leads me to wonder, is there any room left in our hearts, in our lives, for Jesus? Particularly, especially in this season. There was no room for them in the inn. Now, to clarify the biblical text for a moment, this may not have been an inn-inn. It may have just been a guest room or something. There was no room in the guest room. Some translations go that way. Uh, a newborn baby doesn't really require all that much space anyway. A friend of mine said when you bring a new baby home, all they really need is you could just pull out a drawer. I mean, they don't, they're not moving all that much. You don't need all the stuff. So a manger would work fine. And, of course, the people in our story don't know that this is, you know, Jesus, Jesus. They just... It's just some guy and his wife and, and, and a baby. All that to say, this doesn't mean that Jesus and Mary and Joseph are out in a barn, as the popular versions of the story often imply. It simply means he's in a manger. You, you can pick those up. You can move those. You don't have to leave it in the barn. You could, you could go somewhere else with it. 
But the reality is that our text does tell us that there was no room for them, which should cause us to ask, is there room for Him in our lives? Because, of course, the irony is that there's often less room for Jesus during this season than any other, which is ironic since it's supposed to be all about Him. And let's recognize this isn't the fault of of those people, those people who don't believe in Jesus, because they aren't supposed to act any different. Instead, let's recognize that we are the ones who maybe have lost the baby amidst the busy. Since it's us who don't have any room for Him anymore. But therefore, during this season of Advent, we're going to try and, and carve out some room for Jesus in our hearts. Because, of course, this doesn't just happen if we don't make it happen. Room isn't discovered, it's reserved. Margin doesn't just materialize, it's made. Time isn't found, it's prioritized. It's the only way it works. You'll never just find more time. I've been looking for years. I I have not found it yet. But you can carve it out. You can make it. But therefore, we recognize that there will be no room for Jesus in this season of Advent and this next season of Christmas unless we prepare Him room. As the song says, let every heart prepare Him room. Because we know that if we don't, our hearts will be filled with too much of everything else. And so let's turn to the Advent story now and see if we can't figure out how to better prepare Him room. So if you would, I would invite you and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. This is right at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 1, 5. And we will begin in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared 
for the Lord. We're going to stop there for a moment. Uh, Just to highlight a few things before we fast forward our story about, I don't know, nine or ten months in just a moment. Uh, Our passage begins, uh, as it begins, it's worth noting that there are, that things aren't going particularly well in Israel for anyone. Herod is king of Judea, and that's not good for most people. Furthermore, we are given a picture of the state of things through the family of Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. They are old, and they are childless. And in many ways, this is probably an accurate microcosm of the state of Israel at that time. Things are looking a little bit bleak. God seems to have gone missing, and hope is becoming harder and harder to find. That being said, this family is staying faithful even still. So Zechariah heads into the temple to do his job, and there's an angel, which would have been surprising. Because remember, even though this is the Bible and per capita, there's a lot more angels that show up there than most places, that wasn't a common experience back then or since then. What's more, God has seemingly been silent for the past about 400 years or so. And so we're not anticipating that we're going to have an encounter with God, even as we go to church. Even though we're going into the Holy of Holies, the room for God, there's still not much expectation that God is in this room anymore. You see, the problem a lot of the time is that we're, we're just not paying attention. We're not aware. Maybe we've become a little bit too apathetic or agitated, which is then why we are so surprised and even afraid when God actually does show up, which is also why we often need people to wake us up a little bit and point us back to where we should be focused. When something big is coming, there are normally hints and whispers and foreshadowings, if not full proclamations, about what is to come. Before a king comes a herald, before the summer comes the spring, before a a ball game, you get the national anthem. But this is going to be something really big. And so in the midst of this barren time, there's an angel telling about a child, and the child is going to tell about one who is to come. It'll be this boy's job to prepare Israel, because maybe they too have stopped paying attention. Maybe a little too much navel-gazing, a little too much distraction, a little too much busyness. And so they need to be made ready. Frankly, that's also a big part of the purpose of Advent for us. Getting ready, making room, preparing our lives for the one who is to come. Not just a baby, but the Christ. So as we do, let's take a deeper look at Zechariah and see how he is changed by this good news. We're going to keep reading now in verse 57, about nine or ten months later, and we'll see what happens. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. 
On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Amen. Okay. Story got fast-forwarded about nine, ten months or so. Uh, the miracle baby is finally born, and Elizabeth is clear on the boy's name, but the crowd thinks that's a little bit strange. But Dad, who has been silenced, he kind of said something to an angel you're not supposed to say, and the angel kind of made him not talk for ten months, uh, confirms that his name should be John, and suddenly he can talk again. And it's at this point that we see Zechariah burst into exuberant praise and thanksgiving. And notice the praise is not just because he's a new dad. The praise is because of who God is and what God is at work doing. But let's dig deeper. Because I find Zechariah's transformation in these two passages encouraging and enlightening. Coming back to our series, as we recognize the small amount of space in our lives that we make for Jesus, it's worth asking the question, how do we prepare our hearts for Him? How do we make room for Jesus in our lives, and even especially in this season? And the first com component that we're going to be looking at this week is that we prepare Him room by building hearts of gratitude, because regular thanksgiving has the power to transform how we see the world around us. And so as we look into this more, let's start by seeing the effect of gratitude in our lives. Because one of the most interesting parts of our passage is how Zechariah is transformed over the course of this story. At the beginning of our story, Zechariah is doubtful, fearful, and depressed. And then something changes. Zechariah is given hope. Zechariah is given peace. Zechariah is given good news. 
And he hears not only about his, his one to come, but one even greater to come. And Zechariah's fear and doubt and depression are turned into gratitude and praise and joy. Because the strange reality is that when we are grateful, there's considerably less room for all of those other emotions in our lives. When you're sad, when you're afraid, when you're upset, everything changes when you start using the words, but I'm thankful for. I'm sad because of this loss, but, but thankful that there was something to lose. I'm afraid of this, but I'm thankful that I have this in the first place. I'm upset about this, but I'm thankful that I can be. I'm stressed about all of this stuff, and yet I'm thankful that I'm able to do all this stuff. Somehow, being thankful turns the volume down on all of these more negative emotions. Notice they don't go away. They just become less of a focus, less overwhelming at times. Somehow gratitude grounds us in reality instead of all the hypotheticals and what-ifs and distractions of life. Because to be thankful means that we have to see and acknowledge and even affirm the goodness all around us. Because, of course, the reality is that too often we are more focused on all that other stuff instead of the good that we could see around us. And yet as Zechariah sees how he has been blessed, he is filled with gratitude and he's changed. I wonder if we could learn to see better. I wonder if we could recognize all of the good in and around us more. I wonder if we could become a people of gratitude. And if so, I wonder if that would help us prepare for Jesus in our hearts. But there's another important part of gratitude that we see in our passage, and that is that the nature of gratitude is that it comes from the outside. It comes from outside of ourselves and it focuses us outside of ourselves. Because, of course, in order to be thankful, we have to recognize that our blessings come from someone else. Or to, to try and put it a different way, I can only be grateful for things that don't come from me. I can only say thankful, I can only say thank you to someone else. I can only be grateful for gifts that were given me, blessings that were bestowed upon me. I can only be thankful for time that someone else shares with me. Because innately, all gratitude points us away from ourselves. But notice, we can't be grateful if we think that we've done it all ourselves. We can't be grateful if I, if I don't need you, I can't be grateful for you. We can't be grateful if we are only looking inwardly at me. Because the nature of gratitude is outward. 
You have to receive in order to thank. It doesn't make any sense the other way. And of course, because we believe in a God who is the good giver, even some of our, as Christians, even some of our internal attributes and abilities become sources of gratitude as well, as we recognize they come from Him. But this also may be part of our problem, because we are becoming worse at gratitude because too often we lose sight of the giver. We think, I, I've earned uh, and worked toward everything I have and everything I am, and I don't really need anyone else, and I don't really need God. And then we wonder why we don't feel much gratitude. Well, of course not. It goes hand in hand. There has to be an other, a giver, in order to say thank you. Which, again, is just another place in our lives where I think we haven't made much room since we don't even recognize all that He's given us, and since sometimes we're not even aware of Him in our lives. And so it's no surprise then that we become less grateful. Though maybe that's part of the solution. Because as we become more aware of God in our lives and world, we also become more grateful for His blessings. In the same way that as we see the goodness of God's blessings, we also become more grateful for His goodness. And maybe this is how we prepare Him room, as we look toward God more, as we become less focused on ourselves. Maybe this is how we become a more grateful people. Before we close and before we pray, I want to just extend a challenge in this next season as, we, as we're trying to prepare Him room. It's, a, it's an easy one. I, I think you can remember it. If you say thank you over the next, well, Advent, so four or five weeks, if you say thank you for something, think of something else you're thankful for also. I'm thankful for this very expensive coffee. I'm thankful that it has caffeine in it. I'm thankful for the person who gave me this coffee. I'm thankful that I had $8 to buy this little cup of coffee. I'm thankful... You get the idea. Thank you for this gift that you've given me. And I'm also thankful for you. But anytime you say thank, thank you over the next couple weeks... Find something else, and let's see if that gratitude changes us. If you would join me in prayer. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all the ways that you are moving in our lives, in our world. Thank you for Zachariah and Elizabeth's faithfulness. Thank you for sending John to, to prepare us for the coming of Christ. But Lord, we also recognize we still need that same preparation today. We still need you to prepare room in our lives for the coming of Jesus, especially in this season. But Lord, we thank you that that's something we can be grateful about because you did send Jesus because you wanted to be with us, because you love us that much. Lord, help us to become a grateful people. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.